it doesn't matter how much money you have. Eventually, if you're trying to grow your real estate portfolio, you will have to use OPM, other people's money. And in this episode, that's what we're going to talk about is how to do that the best way. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm Adam A. Adams filling in for Jason Lewis today. And we are going to be talking a little bit about raising money. Now, a lot of you know that I have been hosting the Raising Money Summit every single year for I think it's been four years and we're skipping out this year due to there's still, you can't have big size meetings in person in some parts of the world. And still some people are afraid to do that. So anyway, we skipped it this year. But the point is, many of you know me that way. And I was just talking to Mauricio Raul, who's a securities attorney. And securities attorneys basically do one of three things. They either help people to be able to attract capital, raise money the legal way, like doing the paperwork for them, making sure that they're crossing the I's, dotting the T's, all that stuff. So they either help you raise money legally. Number two, they litigate against you if you haven't raised money legally. Like, for example, if one of the people who gave you money didn't get a return and they were mad then maybe a securities attorney could actually support them to make sure that you got in trouble for doing things the wrong way. Or three, they represent those who have not done it legally. For example, if they weren't there to help you do it legally and you were like, oh crap, like I need some help to make sure that I don't get into trouble because somebody's litigating and they want some money, they can try to support you and help you get a easier sentence because raising money the wrong way is pretty bad. And you'll get fined. You could go to jail. There's a lot of bad stuff. So I want to talk a little bit about what it is to raise money legally and not a close friend, but somebody who that I'm connected with and is a great person, Vikram Raya. He's starting a podcast. So his people recently asked me, hey, can you come on the podcast? And if so, you know, we, we want to have you. What would you feel comfortable talking about? And this is one of the subjects that I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about like attracting capital, raising money. And I'm passionate about that subject because some people do it completely wrong unknowingly. And you've been listening to this podcast for a while, or maybe this is the first episode. Welcome. Glad you're here. And I just want to share with you a little bit about my experience for raising money, the pros and cons, what things have I've seen that have gotten people into trouble. Mauricio, the attorney, I literally just got off the phone with him like 12 minutes ago exactly. I got off the phone with Mauricio and it inspired me to create this episode for you and to just chat about this. And I want to be clear that raising money, attracting capital is for all kinds of real estate. So for example, Jason, the main host of this podcast, Creative Real Estate Podcast, Jason Lewis, you know him. He does a lot of different things. Like he's done commercial properties. He's done single family. He's done a lot multifamily. And he doesn't want this podcast to be like about one genre, right? Not about multifamily syndication specifically. So I'm going to make sure that this isn't just about multifamily syndication, but raising money when you're doing multifamily syndication, like you're, you have to raise millions at a time. So it becomes 
even more risky if you're going to make a mistake. It's still risky for a single family with one person that you're raising money from. It still has an element of risk and a lot of laws that you have to abide by to do it right. But when you're doing it on a larger scale, when you're raising millions instead of thousands, there is a higher level of risk. And so that's some of what I wanted to talk about now. In general, there are two ways to raise money. Now, laws can change. And actually, this year, laws did change a little bit. And so some of this could become outdated. I totally get that. And that's why I want to leave this disclaimer. Call Mauricio or a securities attorney that you know, regardless if you're raising for single family, self-storage, multifamily, fix and flips, rentals, portfolios, if you're doing a fund, if you're doing one-offs, regardless if you're using other people's money and it's not a bank, if it's a bank, you don't have to think about this, right? But if it is a private individual, you've got to be thinking about this and you should be talking to somebody like Mauricio Raoult or one of the other securities attorneys that you can find by either Googling or if you're talking to your friends and asking them who they've used. If you're asking me who I've used, they're retired now. And so I'm going to say one of my really good friends, Mauricio, is somebody that I trust, a good person for you to, to call on, whether you're doing small stuff or big stuff. You need that consulting because what I'm about to share with you can only get you so far. The attorney's going to help you get the rest of the way. At any rate, let me jump in. If in general, there's two ways to raise money. As I was saying before, there's more, but there's two main ways. And that is by either, you know what? There's more than two ways. So let me jump, let me share those ways. Let me go through those ways because there's two main ways that I look at, but maybe we can put everything into four buckets, okay? Four buckets. Bucket number one, you can have an exemption from having what they call a private placement memorandum but you still need to be very careful. And that is basically for like raising for smaller properties, like a like one property at a time, right? It's like 50 grand from one person for one deal, 100 grand, 200 grand, but from one person for one deal, you can do that, but you have to be very careful how you go about it. Way number two is you're filing Reg D 506C exemption. Way number three is you're filing, it sounds the same, Reg D 506B exemption. So Reg D 506C, Reg D 506B, they're slightly different. And then number four, you are raising money through more of a public offering. So there's private offerings, public offerings, and then like individual offerings. So I just want to share some of these insights with you because I've seen a ton of mistakes. And here we go. I see a lot of people going to meetups and being like, hey, I've got a single family fix and flip in San Antonio, Texas, and it needs to be rehabbed. I'm looking for like 60 grand. If anybody wants to be a private money lender, just let me know. I've seen so many people do this at meetups and it is not legal. It is not okay. What you're basically doing is you're doing something that has to only be shared with one individual that you already know, like a family or a friend, 
you're sharing with the world with people that you might not have a connection with. And if other people can hear and you don't basically know if they've invested before, you don't know what their experience is, you don't know how much money they have, and you're telling an offering like that and you're not filing one of these exemptions, Reg D-506B or Reg D-506C, or you're not doing a public offering, and you're just you're in a meetup telling about this single family that you need like 60 grand for or 200 grand or whatever it is, you could actually get in real big trouble for standing up in front of potential strangers if you don't intimately know like the name of the kids, the name of the dogs, you don't really know like how much money they have, you don't know their experience level, but you're actually sharing an offering, you that is a securities violation. So you need to be careful. A lot of people are making this mistake. So the way that you would do something like that is that you would actually call one by one people that you already know. And you might hopefully ask them, hey, what's your experience doing real estate? Do you feel comfortable doing that? How much do you have to invest? Ask some of those questions to help protect yourself and protect them. Protect them. You want them to be protected, right? And then depending on what they say, then you can share with them the offering. Depends on like how long you've known them, how long you've known them. And so feel free to, if you want more clarification on that, reach out to your attorney, securities attorney specifically, securities attorney, make sure it's a securities attorney. The rest of the attorneys are not going to be able to answer that very well. They don't know this business very well if they're not in this business. All of the types of laws, one attorney doesn't just fill in for the other attorneys. All of the types of laws are unique. My sweetheart is an attorney, but she's not a securities attorney. She's learning this. She's passively invested in a few deals. She owns some rental property. And this is one thing that she doesn't, she's not involved with. They didn't teach her this at law school. They taught her the type of law that she does, right? So just remember that not all the attorneys know the same stuff. And it's really helpful to get some type of a referral to an attorney. So, like, ask your friends, ask your family, who have you used? Ask the other people that are raising money, who have you used? If they say they have not used an attorney, you can pretty much stop listening to them because that's not appropriate. Anyway, anyway, I don't want to get on a tangent. So let me move on. Another thing is like Facebook posts. For example, people say, some people might say, hey, I've got my Facebook set to private. So the only people that can see it are the people that are my friends and they're posting this stuff. But in many cases, even if you have your Facebook set to private and you're asking for 60 grand, 200 grand for a single family or whatever it is, a multifamily syndication, a self-storage syndication, whatever, doesn't matter. If you're on Facebook, A, it definitely should be on private because you don't want anyone in the public to be able to do it. But B, you need to find a way to be able to verify that every single one of your friends are friends that you know intimately. You know how much they make each year. You know every investment that they've ever done. That's almost impossible for anyone to be able to claim. So it makes it very prohibitive to make Facebook posts like that meetup announcement that I mentioned before. It makes it very prohibitive, like very scary, very like iffy. If they can prove, if this litigation person can prove that there's even just one Facebook friend on your profile, 
that you don't know how much money they make or they aren't old enough to invest or because they're a kid or you know they've never invested before because it's your grandma and she just never did that or whatever the case is and you're sharing these things, you might be able to get litigated and in trouble and you need somebody to represent you. So just be careful on like stuff like Facebook posts and meetup posts. The next thing that I want to talk about, those are for single family. You know, like those are for like one-offs when it's only raising from one person for one deal. That's basically how it works. If that person, if that person creates a mortgage, and so basically what they'll have is a lien against the property and a note against the property, then some of these exemptions are a little bit easier. If they are more like private partners where they want to own the equity of it, but they don't want to do the work, talk to your attorney because that can get scary, Like especially if there's more than one. But if you're co-partnering with somebody because of creativity, all of that to say that if you're doing like a single family one-off you know, deal, then you're going to want to be real careful, real cautious to be sure that you're still following securities law. And, and not violating securities law. Because if you have announced some of these deals before, you can get in trouble down the line. You, when it comes to securities law, it's the type of thing that you always want to stay far from any type of problems. I know a lot of influencers, people that have podcasts, for example, that are you know getting in trouble for securities law. They posted on Facebook. They've invited people to invest with them on their podcasts, but they haven't like followed the law all the way and they haven't taken the steps to protect themselves. So it's like if you're having somebody invest with you, you need to know a lot about that person. You need to be connected with that person. You need to really, truly, these are the things that I believe are the most important. You need to understand how much money they have, how much money they make, and how much money they have invested. How much money do they have right now in the bank, for example? How much money do they make each month or each year? And how many investments have they done? If you find out that they don't have a lot of money and you find out that they don't have a lot of experience and they don't make a lot of money, they just have this one like 50 grand and you're trying to put it in your deal, you could get in real big trouble because you're not being responsible to them. And so that's really what I want you to avoid. When you're like raising money for larger properties, like for example, if you want to do self-storage or assisted living or apartments or some other type of commercial real estate, for example, then a lot of the times that you're going to be raising, you're going to be raising with what's called basically a syndicate. In general, you don't want to partner with like one limited person and one active person and have one person who is investing the whole amount, right? And let's call it 500,000. Let's just call it 500 grand. One person is investing 500 grand as a partner, but they don't really have any roles. They're expecting a return, but they don't have like an actual job. Their only job was giving you the money. You could get in trouble for that. Like you could actually be in trouble because that person's supposed to have an actual job. Like when you partner with people, when you joint venture with people, it's in general, it's supposed to be that you have equal like responsibility for like one person does all the accounting and the other person does all the management or one person finds all the deals and the other person manages all the deals 
if it's like you basically have a 50-50, you can actually get in trouble. And a lot of people don't know this. You could actually get into trouble and possibly a lot of trouble if you're raising money from one investor. They're expecting a return. like They think they're going to get paid and they think they're going to get paid back and they're basically expecting it to happen. And you're sitting here doing like all the work or 90% of the work, like you have all this workload and they basically almost do nothing. You could get in trouble. That could be bad. So like when we generally, we don't do JVs for in general, there are some people that do it. Some of them are breaking the law. Others are within the law. You got to talk to your attorney to figure out how to do that. But in general, when we buy these larger properties, we might raise that 500,000 might come from, for example, 15 people, some of them doing 25, 30, 40, 50, or 60,000, right? And so they're averaging like, let's just say 50 grand a person. And so you'll have multiple of these investors coming into one property. And so when they do that, they do what's called a syndication. Now, yes, I understand that there's something called regulation CF. I also know that there's something called regulation A and A+. I understand that these are kind of like more unique things. If you're curious about Reg CF or Reg A, basically what I want you to do is talk to an attorney because I'm not going to do it justice. The more common ones are Reg D 506B and Reg D 506C. B is in buddies. You're raising money from only your buddies. C is in community. Like you're going out to the community. You might not know everybody in the community, but you're, you're allowed to like advertise in the city or the community, whatever starts with a C and you can remember. So the B for the buddy kind of goes to that single family stuff that I was talking to you about it before. Like that single family stuff that you have to basically understand how much money they make, how much they have, and like how many times they've invested or what they've invested in, what their like investment portfolio looks like or experience looks like. You got to know those three things. Those are really important. In my opinion, they're the most important three things that you need to know. You may not know their dog's name or their kid's name, possibly, but as long as you know those three things and you're being responsible enough to say, we can't take you because you've never done this before, like you've never done any type of investment, or we can't take you because like the minimum that I need is 50,000 and you only have 60,000, that wouldn't leave you with a lot. If you are being responsible like that to the right people and only letting in, I guess, responsible from the wrong people and letting in the right people, then that's going to really support you, in my opinion, with securities law, right? When you syndicate, you're basically utilizing synergy, okay? Syndicate, synergy, they have like the same Latin root, right? What if it wasn't a Latin root? What if I said it was Latin and, and I didn't look it up and then you guys, a Greek root, I think it comes from Greek. It's a Greek root. At any rate, Let's jump in it because like synergy is where there's interaction or cooperation where two or more people, two or more organizations, two or more things come together and create something where the sum is greater than like the addition of just the parts. So it's like one plus one equals three, right? That's kind of what we get when we syndicate. When we syndicate, we get a group of individuals organizations and we combine them to be able to promote one common interest. So like we all come together and it's controlled by one and like you get more out of it than you would have got. So synergy syndication. I like that they have the same Greek root. <laughs> I was going to say Latin root, but I, I think it's Greek. 
And so as we talk about like syndication, we're basically taking we're taking passive investors who only want to be passive, like people that want to invest in Coca-Cola, for example, passively. They don't want to make any decisions. They don't want to go to work. They want to make money with Coca-Cola or any other place where you can invest your money, but they don't want to be the operator. They don't want to be the CEO. They don't want to be an employee. They don't want to be putting in 40 hours a week. They just want to make the return, whether it's a 5% return, 20% return, 3%, 6%, 9%, whatever. That person literally just wants a return. And so there comes when we syndicate, we synergize with these two basic levels, right? We basically synergize with LPs, which I, I call limited partners, and GPs, which are general partners. And general partners are like the managers or the operators. That's like the owners of Coca-Cola, the workers of Coca-Cola. That's the general partnership. And then the limited partnership is like the passive investors. It's the people that just want to put in the money and they expect a return. And because they expect a return, this becomes a securities law. And as securities law, we want to make sure that we're raising that money correctly. And so basically what happens is when you're doing that, you need something called a private placement memorandum. And it sounds crazy. It's like, this is your way of not having to go public. Because if you want to go public and raise money, like it's going to cost a ton of time and a ton of money. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You want to take a company public, there's a lot of capital that is needed in order to go public. And it takes a long time because they got to look at your books. There's a lot that goes into it. And so sometimes it'll take a year or more just for a company to be able to say, hey, we're ready to go public. We're going public. And then we are public. Like that time takes too long. So it is a little bit prohibitive because it costs, I mean, the attorney's fees are outrageous to do something like that for a small business. For a giant business, a giant corporation, the attorney's fees make sense. So then we found a way to go private. Instead of going public, we go private. And so there's two ways to go private. Let's talk about B and C. We said but B for buddy, C for city or C for community. You don't necessarily know all those people. So getting back there, 506 Reg D, they're both Reg D. One is 506B as in buddy. One is 506C as in city or community. B as in buddy is, as I mentioned before, it's the same as how we raise money from like single for like single family. We got to know those three things about them. How much they make, how much they have, and how much they have invested in. And then we make a determination if we can have that person. And we need to push out the right people or the wrong people and bring in the right people. While doing that, you still need a private placement memorandum. And what it says is, what the PPM says is, this could go wrong, this could go wrong, this could go wrong, this could go wrong. If you've ever had CYA cover your A, cover your assets, if you've ever heard of that before, that's what the PPM does. The PPM, essentially, the attorney spends a lot of time and attention to make sure that they consider anything that could go wrong. My sweetheart's an attorney. They literally go to school figuring out everything that could go wrong. <laughs> That's what they go to school for. And so these uh, securities attorneys, they literally spend all the time just figuring out what if there was a hurricane? Ooh, then we got to mention like, what are the probabilities of a hurricane? When, you know, what would happen if there was a hurricane? We spell it out. Like what would happen if people didn't pay rent? What would happen in a force majeure pandemic thing? Like what would happen? Like, and so they're always constantly trying to give all the disclosures in this PPM. The PPM basically scares people away from investing in the property. That's a good way to say it. The PPM 
shows anything that could go wrong. And the, it's on the attorney who writes that to accept the responsibility of consequences if you know something happens that's wrong, but it wasn't in there. That's why the PBMs cost so much. They're usually like 12 grand or 12, five, or some people say seven or 10, other people say 20, 20,000. But anyway, they're literally around 12,500. And part of really what you're paying for is if something goes wrong. Like you, it's basically, there is literally insurance that the attorneys have. And that is part of what's happening. They spend the time to figure it out and then they back it up. They said, hey, I stand by this. And then they actually stand by it. And like if something happens, generally they will represent you for, I know you might've heard my mic as I'm talking with my hands. They will represent you with usually no out-of-pocket. And that's something to look at. If you're going to be hiring a securities attorney, you want to understand, hey, what if the poop hits the fan and we mess up here and like you didn't disclose something? Like, are we covered? And they should usually say yes. So that just gives you a, a bit about what is the PPM? What's private placement? And then you're also going to have an offering memorandum. Offering memorandum is like the rose-colored glasses and the PPM is like the I don't know, the opposite colored glasses. So the PPM scares people away. The offering memorandum is more of something that brings people in and tells them how great the investment could be and what you're looking to do. And it paints it all in a really good light. And so you're going to have both of those documents and then you're going to have some other things and some disclosures. And literally the attorney, if you've raised money from, let's just say 50 people, because that's not uncommon in a syndication. That is not uncommon. Some of our syndications have had more than that. Many of them have only had like 30, but let's just say you've got like 50 people that are all investors in that deal. And the probabilities are that they are not all in the same city. So for example, the Reg A that we talked about before, Reg A plus, in general, like it costs money per city that they're in. And that's one of the reasons why most people don't do that. These other PPMs, the attorney if they are in 50 different cities, like let's just say all 50 of your investors are in a different state, random, let's just pretend, your securities attorney should, for that same price, normally do all of this extra work that has to be done. Basically, they have to file the exemptions or they have to file something. I don't even remember the name of the thing because I'm not an attorney, but they've got to file something in each and every state that you're raising money from. And that takes a lot of time and attention. And that, that should be included as well. So you find that out also. Like with raising money, ultimately, I have a five-step formula that should help most people that are trying to raise money. This five-step formula, I know I, I don't think I mentioned it that I was going to share this with you in the beginning of the episode. So it's just bonus content for you. So A, start off today's episode really talking about like some of the things that could go wrong and some of the reasons why you'd want an attorney involved and some of the ways to look at it if you're raising money outside of just like a bank. If there is a bank that has a mortgage, you're probably fine. If you're reaching out to anyone privately, your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your best friend, your best friend's father, whatever, somebody that you had met and said that they were looking for investments and you reach out to them and invite them into your investment, you got to do it really, really carefully. But these five things are really, these are the steps that I think are the best way for you to close on actual deals. And they go like this. The first step is that you just want to make sure you're educated. That's absolutely the first step. And once you're educated, 
you're really going to select a market. That's when you pick the market. After you've done those two things, you are going to select a team. So you want to get educated, then you want to select your market with good market fundamentals, and you want to select your team. Your team includes like attorneys, property management companies, brokers, you know, partners, whatever. That's your team. Number four, like once you've selected your team, now it's a really good time to start attracting capital. Okay. This is where you want to like raise money. This is you starting to tell people where you're going to be, what you're planning to do, what's your plan, what's your pro formas, like what kind of investments you want to do, where they are, who your team is. You want to start basically attracting capital. That's step four. Step five, which is funny because step five is what everybody else tells you is step one. It's finding the deal. Finding the deal. And this is interesting because like, I would say that most people that are learning how to do this, they think that finding the deal is the first thing. I've even heard if you find a good deal, the money automatically comes. You find a deal, the money's automatically going to come. That's BS. You don't just automatically have all of the capital that you need, especially for these larger things. If it's for like a smaller deal, like a one-off, you're probably going to find the money. I think you'll be able to do it. At any rate, write these five steps down because I really truly believe that this is like the best way of ensuring that you're going to have success in real estate. So first you want to get educated. Now there's two types of education. There's free education and there's paid education. If you're going to pay for education, which I suggest it, but if you are going to pay for education, the big important piece to that is that you're working with somebody that you like and trust. You got to like them and trust them. You got to like believe in them. People would have told you about them. You would have been following them on like whatever their podcast is for a long time. If you're going to pay for education, if, then make sure it's with somebody that you resonate with and trust fully. And there's also free education. Like here's, I'll call it free slash cheap education, like free slash inexpensive education. Because like this podcast, for example, the Creative Real Estate Podcast is totally free. It costs your time to be here, but there is no like out of pocket. You're not going to pay me to listen to this podcast. You're not going to pay Jason just to listen to the podcast. It's free education. The inexpensive education is like buying books, listening to audiobooks, you know, $12 for an audiobook, 15 bucks for an audiobook, 18 bucks for an audiobook, 18 bucks for a physical book. Course that might be 100 bucks or less. This is like inexpensive education. The hiring like coaches and mentors, that's usually going to cost you at least 15,000, usually, normally. It's normally going to cost at least 15,000. And like, I know this sounds crazy, sticker shock, but up to 150,000. I have a couple of friends that do it and they do that and for 150 grand. And I honestly believe what they're providing is worth the 150 which is interesting. So you might be spending 25 or 30, which is kind of like a normal range, 25 to 30, if you're going to hire somebody. But remember, you got to get educated somehow. Books, podcasts, asking friends, having a, a friend who is a mentor or hiring a mentor that you have to both like and trust. And then you go to the market selection. The market selection is figuring out like what are the good schools what level of school points, like grades, do you need? Like, do you need a three out of 10, a five out of 10, an eight out of 10, a 10 out of 10? 
what do you need those schools to be? Like, this is important. Also, like, what do you want the rent to income ratio to be? What do you want the, the cost to rent from the cost to own to be? Do you want it to be more of like a, a Republican Party place or a Democrat Party place? Now, personally, and it doesn't matter which way you swing, because I don't even think that I agree with everybody but in that party either, but I specifically try to invest in Republican Party cities only because the taxes are usually better. How do you want the taxes to be? And then do I want a cheap neighborhood or do I want costly neighborhood or somewhere in between? And honestly, like I don't see a lot of benefit personally. This is just me. It doesn't have to fit into your bubble. I don't see a lot of benefit personally to going to like the cheapest markets out there like that have had really almost no increase over the last few years. Like they're small markets. They're out in the boonies. They're cheaper. There's no real job force there. There's not, um, what is the other, like job diversification. The population is small. For example, I would recommend that you don't go to what's called an MSA, Metropolitan Statistical Area. You don't go to a Metropolitan, I can't, why can't I talk? Metropolitan Statistical Area. There we go. I said it. But my suggestion, you don't have to take it, is that you don't go to an MSA that is like under 100,000 people. Like that would, to me, that's crazy. My team, when we're looking for stuff, we want a million or more in the MSA, Denver, Dallas, there's others, uh, places in Florida that are big, you know, a hundred thousand or more. This is like the minimum that I would suggest for you. Uh, a million has always been our minimum for MSA, but obviously there's pros and cons. There's more competition with bigger MSAs. There's a lot of pros to what that competition can do. Like cap rates are lower, more compressed, which means higher prices per everything that you add, you can get more money out of it. Anyway, you want to do your own market selection. Figure out what criteria means the most to you and then do it. That was step two. Step three, again, was putting your team together. You're hiring your attorney. You're getting your broker. You're figuring out who you'd like to partner with as like business partners. Then you start attracting that capital, telling people that you're looking at these types of deals. This is who's on my team. This is the property management team that we've chosen in this area. They've got all of the, the main knowledge that they need in order to make the decision. And then you find the deal. Finding the deal last after everything else is set in place is going to make you feel a lot better. You're never going to be behind the eight ball. You're always going to be ahead of the game. You're always going to be cool, calm, collected, confident. You're always going to being able to attract that money is going to be easier when you're not frustrated, stressed. And I want you to make sure that you're raising money the legal way. And I want to make sure that you're raising money in a way that makes you cool, calm, and collected, confident, right? And what that means is like you're doing the steps before you get a deal that you need. Because like if you're running, reaching out to somebody, try to raise money. Oh, this is where I was. This is where I was. A mistake that I see people do is they believe like if you find a deal, the money automatically comes, which actually might work with some of the smaller deals, especially like if you've already got friends in your network that you know want to invest, but like you haven't really had that conversation. If you got a great deal, your mom might lend you money. I don't know. But at any rate, when it comes down to us actually attracting capital and us actually doing a really good job and doing this at scale, like flipping lots of houses at a time or doing lots of Airbnbs at a time or lots of assisted livings at a time or multifamily syndication or whatever, like when it comes to you like scaling this, it's just going to be a lot better for you. 
to approach the time where you're asking for money, the best time for you to be actually asking for money is when you don't need it. It's a silliest like phenomenon, but if you are reaching out to somebody and you're saying, these are the kind of deals that I'm going to be doing, I just want to know if I find one like that, if you want to be involved. That's the you raising money before you have a deal. When we raise the money when we have a deal, it comes from a place of like need and like psychologically, it's scary for an investor. You basically are putting them under pressure and you're are under pressure. You're under pressure because like you'll lose your earnest money if you put out an earnest money deposit, for example. You're like, I got this great deal. And if you don't invest, I'm going to lose my money. And now you're stressed out and you're just not coming from a confident, cool, calm, collected position. You're not coming from a position of power. You're not coming from a position of like authority and, and the fact that you know what's up and you're good. You're coming from, I need you. If, uh, what if I lose my money? You got to help me. And when we're having these conversations, it shouldn't be like about you. It shouldn't be about your needs. It shouldn't be about the money you could lose if they don't invest. It's got to be about them and what they stand to gain and what they could lose if they're not doing this. So you are having conversations like, hey, I know you're an attorney. We've talked a lot about attorneys. I know you're an attorney and attorneys make decent money. What do you do with all the extra money? Like, Are you still paying off your loans? Are you just saving it? Are you spending it on Ferraris? Or are you making some investments? What do you do with the extra money? Just curious. And so you're starting to get to know. And then you, you just say, hey, the reason I ask is because I'm starting to do multifamily or any other type of real estate, starting to do single family rentals. And I know I'm going to run out of my own money. And I could probably partner with a couple of people that have you know some capital that they don't really know what to do. They want to put it somewhere that could generate some type of income. And so if you're interested, we could sit down and we could talk a little bit about what kind of deals I'm looking at, where I'm looking at them, why I picked that market, and share with you my team or any other questions that you have. See if we're a fit. And they say, yeah, let's do it. And you say, hey, I'll buy you lunch. Where do you want to go? And then they tell you where you want to go. And then you go and buy them lunch if you can afford it. And then you go out to lunch and then you basically show them, this is the market, this is the deal, this is the team. By the way, <laughs> Trick something special. Those are the three things. Deal, market, team. Deal, market, team. Those are the main questions that your investors are going to have. What's the deal? So basically, you don't have one yet. So you tell them what kinds of deals you're looking at, why you are set those parameters around it, who's on the team, and what market you selected and why. What type of market fundamentals did you care about when you selected that market? Whether it's a small market, mid-market, or, or large market like my team looks at. What are the parameters and why did you pick it? What do you see up and coming? What are the benefits? What are the drawbacks as well, if you can? And then you just say, if I find a deal like that, would you want me to show you? That's all. That's your call to action. That's your CTA. That's your call to action. If I find a deal that matches these parameters, would you want me to call you? And that's how you leave it. They say, yeah, man, I'd love to be involved. So you say, okay, how much this is give you some bonus tips here. How much would you want to invest if a deal like that came along? Yeah, like around 20,000. You say, well, the minimum is 30. Or like, do you have 30 comfortably? Or you say, I'm only looking for people with 50 or only looking for people with 100, whatever it is. Okay, 30. That sounds perfect. That's just above our minimum, a little bit lower than some of our other people are putting in, but it's a little above our minimum. So 
I'd be happy to let you know. I will let you know. And then you keep them in a database, a spreadsheet, a, a notebook. And then once you have that deal, after you've already pre-raised like a couple million or a couple hundred thousand, and all you need is 50,000, perfect. Now you can go ask for the deals. You're going to get more deals because you're telling the broker, hey, hey, man, like I've already got all of these investors that have told me they want to put in this money. This is a deal where I only need 50 grand and I have 500,000 that's being thrown at me. So that's, that's just 10%. Let's do this one and, and nine more just like it. So now you're speaking to the broker with confidence as well. So that's step five. It solves everything. I hope that was a good bonus. I appreciate you listening to this podcast. Um, Jason loves having you as well. I also, for those of you who are listening to this around the holidays, you know, happy new year, happy holidays. It's just a wonderful time of year. And we really, really appreciate you as, as listeners. Reach out to Jason if you need anything at all. But until next time, think outside the box. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box.